Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through chapter 5, verse 20. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea, and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad you're here with us this morning, whether you're here in the West service or watching over in our East service or watching online. Thanks for spending time with us this weekend. I hope you've had a great weekend already. Hey, before I start the sermon continuing our series on Mark, I just want to remind you again that this upcoming weekend, so a week from yesterday, is our Parent Summit. 
So this is something we do every year. It's a great Saturday morning of teaching from God's Word, thinking, teaching us to think like God about parenting and about grandparenting. In fact, this year we've added a grandparenting component, and I just heard we've had to offer it multiple times now because so many of you are signing up for that. So really, really excited about that. Registration is going to close this week, so don't miss a chance to get registered. If you haven't yet, uh, Amy and I look forward to seeing you there this Saturday. Hey, I also want to remind you, I hope that you are following along in this Mark study guide. Uh, I want you to, if you are using this in your circle or individually, I want to make sure you know how to use it. So here's how it goes. There are sermon notes pages in here. Uh, that's for you if you want to bring this uh, on a Sunday and take notes from the message in here. And then the readings are everything in Mark that you need to read in between sermons. So we can't deal with the whole gospel of Mark in 10 weeks on Sundays. So you read devotionally throughout the week, the interim sections, and then we pick it back up each Sunday. So if you bring this and take notes in it, the advantage of that is by the end of this series, you will have read and studied and recorded what God is teaching you throughout the entire Gospel of Mark. You'll have that as a resource to you. By the way, if you want one of these and you don't have one, you can grab one in the atrium this morning for $2. That's just what it costs to make it. And it doesn't bother me if you want to slip out right now and go get one and, and have it as a resource during the sermon. Help yourself to do that. But I hope you're picking uh, one of these up. But I am excited to continue our sermon series on Mark. We're calling The One True King, looking at how Mark presents Jesus as king. Hey, if you have a Bible, would you open it to Mark chapter 4? We're going to read the tail end or look at the tail end of Mark chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. If you have a phone or a tablet, it's perfectly okay to pull that out. If you're watching online, you might just put in the Google browser or your favorite browser, uh, Mark chapter 4. And by the way, if you're here and you don't know your way around the Bible, you didn't bring a Bible, uh, I want you to know there are Bibles available to you. If you're here in the West Service, they're in the pew in front of you. And if you're in the East Service, they're in the back of the room. And I, and I just want you to hear me say, I'm so glad you're here. I imagine if you haven't been to church in a while or maybe have no church background, it's a really intimidating thing to just show up. So I'm proud of you and I'm glad you're here. And it's for you that I use the same Bible you have available to you. That way I can tell you that today's reading is on page 788. So if you don't know your way around the Bible, but you can count, you can find our reading today by getting to page 788. By the way, if you're new to the Bible, you may not know this, but almost every Bible has at the very front of it a table of contents. So anytime you show up at a Bible study or a class here and you wanna, you wanna get where we're at without letting everyone know you don't know how to get there, just go to the very beginning, find the book you're looking for and use the page numbers to get there. And again, so glad you're here this morning. But as we look at these passages, let me hold out to you an outline that I'm gonna use to guide our time together. Three points and they go like this. I wanna talk about why we need the power of God, why we need the power of God, where we go to get it, and how to get it in our own lives. Okay, why we need the power of God, where to go to get it, and how to get it in our own lives lives. All right, let me start with the first one. Why do we need the power of God? Well, you just heard the passage read so beautifully, and you'll notice that it's full of two stories that very much so have to do 
with the power of God. You have the storm and then you have the demon-possessed man. It's a passage about power. But it occurs to me that in ancient times, this would have made more sense to people than maybe it makes now. And that's because in ancient times, people were more in tune with their own inadequacy. So the smaller view you have of yourself, the greater the need you feel for a God who's powerful. And in ancient times, they were very aware of their own inadequacy. They had a limited knowledge of many things. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen an ancient map where they have the land that they know about, and then they get to the ocean, and it's just a picture of a dragon. Have you seen this? And what they're saying is, listen, we don't know what's out there, and if you go out there, it's not on me as the map maker, and you'll probably be eaten by a dragon, okay? So they knew what they didn't know. When you got sick in ancient times, you would go see a healer or a witch doctor and they would give you, you know, some bobble or some ritual. And, and I'm not sure how much anyone really thought it worked as much as they just would say, we don't know what works, so try this. And so because of that, ancient conceptions of God or gods always involved great power because they knew they needed it. But it's kind of the opposite when you think about modern culture, because we feel very powerful. We have a lot of knowledge about things. If you get sick nowadays, you just go to the doctor and she gives you antibiotics. Okay, there's no real mystery involved. We're, we're pretty clear on what to do. If you want to know what's in the ocean, not only can you take a boat, you can fly over it in a plane. And if you don't really feel like traveling, you can just Google Earth it. Okay, so, so here's what happens. The more adequate we feel about ourselves, the less inclined we are to be seeking or be interested in a God that is powerful. Does that make sense to you? The more confident you feel in and of yourself, the less you feel you need a God who's powerful. And yet here's the thing. We're reading these stories 2,000 years later and the needs we're going to find in these stories are the same needs we have now. We have not outgrown them. In fact, let me show you what I mean. There are three reasons they need the power of God in these two stories. The first is the problem of nature. The problem of nature. Now, I want you to understand something. That in this story about the boat and the disciples on the boat, these are experienced fishermen. Okay, they have been on the water a time or two. They have experienced storms. They're not like me. So my, Amy and I, when we got married almost 18 years ago, we went on our honeymoon. And on our honeymoon, Amy wanted to do a lot of excursions and stuff. And so we went snorkeling. And that was fine. Until we got to the snorkeling place and the guys who worked there were like, it's so exciting, you're going to love it. Also, you get to drive the boat. Well, I had, I'm not even sure at that point in my life I had been on a boat, but I know for sure I had never driven a boat. And they put us in this little dinghy. I don't actually know if it's a dinghy. I don't know what that word means, I've realized. I think it means small boat. We were on a small boat, and I was driving it, and we're not driving it in Lake Erie. That would be terrifying. Or the pond at my house. That would also be terrifying. We're talking about driving it across the ocean over waves that felt to me like they were out of one of those movies, 
okay? Like the perfect storm or something. And I'm driving across the ocean, and at one point, Amy looks at me, and she goes, are you having fun? And I said to her, no! I thought, we're going to be married for two days, and then we'll be dead. I hated it. They are not me. If I had come to Jesus and said, Jesus, don't you care if I die? He would have said, be a man. But these guys come to Jesus and they're experienced fishermen, which tells me two things. Number one, they've already tried everything you do when, you're, when your boat is in a storm. They know all the tricks. They know all the tools, right? They've done everything that they can do. And the second thing is they're not prone naturally to fear of the water. So when they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? What they're saying is this isn't a storm, Jesus. This is the storm. This is a storm to end all storms. This is the kind of storm that our fathers told us about when their buddies went out to fish and didn't come back. This is the kind of storm that kills you. We're terrified of nature because we can't control it. And I got to tell you, 2,000 years later, Google Earth and antibiotics and we still can't control nature. Don't believe me, ask Syria. The devastation there. We have no way of stopping it. Tornadoes, hurricanes. I mean, remember this past Christmas when we had a week where it was incredibly cold. And I don't know about you, we lost power for a couple of hours and the temperature in my home probably dropped 20 to 25 degrees in those two hours. And my kids are saying to me, Daddy, I'm cold. And I'm saying, I don't know what you want me to do about it. We can't control nature. So when we talk about why do we need God's power, one reason is because we are susceptible to the power of this world. We can't get ourselves out of those kinds of problems. Here's a second reason why we need the power of God, and that is the problem of evil. Now, I recognize I'm speaking to a crowd of people. It's 2023, and you're probably thinking, come on, Zach. You don't really believe in demons, do you? This guy wasn't afflicted with demons. He probably had schizophrenia, probably had some kind of mental illness going on, some kind of social uh, a problem going on, and Jesus understood it. Sure, kudos to him, but, but this is not really demon possession. In 2023, we can't possibly believe that. But here's the problem with that. The Bible doesn't have a worldview that teaches that demons are behind everything. If it did, it would be easy for me to dismiss this. If like, for example, Jesus shows up to a village and people are bringing him the sick and he's casting out the demon of headaches or the demon of backaches or, or the demon of, of, of fever, well then I, I probably would sneer at that a little bit. If behind every mental illness there was some little demon of depression or demon of anxiety, I would probably have a hard time with that. But that's not the world the Bible paints for us. I mean, the Bible is well acquainted with physical problems. When Jesus shows up to heal the sick, he deals with them as biologically, physiologically sick. He doesn't cast out the demon of sickness or the demon of headaches. He just deals with the physical problems. When the Bible talks about mental illness, it nowhere tells us to attribute depression, anxiety, always and every time or even usually 
to demons. Now, the Bible has a category for physical problems, for mental and emotional and social problems, and for spiritual evil. The Bible's world is big. It's full of a number of kinds of things. And here's the thing. Even 2,000 years later, I have to be honest and say, there's a lot of evil in this world that I don't know how to make sense of. When a guy grabs an assault rifle and walks into a school and shoots children, I don't know how to conceptualize that. Sure, maybe that guy had a rough upbringing. So did some of you, right? Maybe he had social problems, mental health issues. Sure, those are common. Those don't typically result in that, not that, not walking into a school and looking at a child and murdering them. That kind of evil is so inexplicable to me that I have to say my inability to comprehend it opens me up to the idea that there is supernatural evil. And that's what the Bible it's talking about. And after all, even 2,000 years later, when a guy does that at the school, what do we do? Our hearts break. Our hands ring. We lament it. We argue about it. The only thing we don't do is solve it because that kind of evil is beyond us. Some kind of solution to that kind of evil would require a God much more powerful than us. But here's the third need that you see in this passage. When the disciples come to Jesus, they don't say to Jesus, hey, wake up. There's a storm happening. By the way, you got to love the humanity of Jesus here, don't you? I mean, he's not on a yacht. You know what I mean? This is not a cruise ship. He's sleeping underneath on like a post on a cushion. And he's so tired and such a heavy sleeper that the boat is going to capsize and he just keeps sleeping. The only person who sleeps harder than this is me when my kids wake up in the middle of the night. At least that's what my wife tells me. Jesus, heavy sleeper. When they wake him up, they don't say to him, hey, Jesus, you might not have noticed there's a storm going on. Hey, Jesus, can you help us? Look at what they say. They say to Jesus, don't you care if we die? See, in that moment, their, their primary interest is not in the physical universe. Their primary question is whether or not there's a God who loves them and sees them and knows them and cares about them. You see, even 2,000 years later, not only can we not control nature, and not only do we not really have an answer for inexplicable evil, but we also toss and turn at night with the same question in our hearts. Is there a God? Does he see me? Does he care about me? Does he love me? And we need the power of God, not just because of nature and not just because of evil and not just because of so many other things we don't have time to talk about, but we need the power of God because we need some kind of answer to that question. 2,000 years later, antibiotics, technology, smartphones in our hands, we really haven't changed that much. We need the power of God. So that leads me to my second point. Where do we go to get it? Where do you go to get the power of God? Well, the answer to that in this passage and throughout the Gospel of Mark is unavoidably Jesus. Jesus is where you go to get the power of God. And I want to be clear. I want to be clear with you. The Bible is not arguing, Mark and his gospel is not arguing that Jesus is a way that you access the power of God. 
That he's a, a method that will work, that will work for some of you and maybe not for others, but there are other ways out there the rest of us can pursue. No, it's not that. Mark is saying that the power of God is available exclusively in the person of Jesus. That if you want to access the power of God, you have to go to Jesus. Now, why would that be? Well, let's walk right back through all three of those problems. Number one, Jesus has power over nature. They wake Jesus up. Don't you care that we're dying? And I like to imagine Jesus, you know, if he's that heavy of a sleeper, I don't know if you're a heavy sleeper, but the heavier sleeper you are, the harder those first few steps are. Do you know what I'm saying? So Jesus wakes up and he's like me in the morning before I've had coffee. That perilous walk to the coffee maker. He's groggy, he's stretching, he's stiff, right? Wiping the sleep out of his eyes. He goes to the top of the boat and he just says, stop. And everything stops. The wind stops, the water stops, that's it. Sleep in your eye, stretching, groggy, stiff, stop. I don't even have that kind of power over my children. Jesus stops nature. But I want you to notice something. When he does that, do you notice he doesn't pray? He doesn't go to the top of the boat and say, God, would you mind helping me out? God, if you, if, if it's your will, God, would you stop the storm? He doesn't do a rain dance. He doesn't hold a bobble. He doesn't do anything. He just looks at the wind, looks at the water and says, half asleep, stop. That's because Jesus doesn't need someone else's authority to back him up. Jesus is God. You see, this harkens back to Genesis 1 when God created all things and he created all things by speaking them into existence. What Mark is trying to tell us is the same voice that said, let there be an ocean, is the voice saying to the ocean, stop. This is the universe-creating power of God. And it's available in Jesus. Here's the second thing. Jesus has power over evil. You know, in our culture, we believe in duality. For every good and strong hero, there has to be an equally strong bad guy. The reason why is because that makes for better movies. I mean, that, that's true. You can't have a good guy who's, who's never threatened, who's never challenged. You, you got to have a villain who's up to the task so that throughout the movie, you're going, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we even created a guy named Superman. Okay, I would love to be in that pitch meeting. Hey, I have an idea for a superhero. What are you going to call him? Superman. Super creative. What power does he have? All of them. Okay. But, but that won't work, so what we have to do is create this tiny green rock that somehow brings him to his knees. And oh, by the way, it's available to all the bad guys anytime they want it. It's like you can go on kryptonite.com and order it. 
And the reason why is because you have to wonder, will Superman pull it out in the end? So what we expect is that every good power has an equally bad power. That makes for good television, but it also makes for really bad theology because that's not what happens here. So what we do is we bring that duality to the Bible. So we say, well, there's a God and he's powerful. And then there's Satan, a devil, and he's powerful and they battle it out. No, 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 no. There's no comparison. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, does not have a rival. So that when he shows up and the demons in this guy recognize Jesus, they say, son of God. They are, they are not worshiping, but they're acknowledging. And they ask, look at the story. They ask for permission to go into some pigs. This is not a contest, a battle of wills. Who's going to win? Jesus has all the power. By the way, by the way, that's what the whole thing about the pigs is about. If you wonder, what is that about? Here's what it's about. They have to ask permission, and then when they go into the pigs, they destroy the pigs so that you see how powerful the demons are, except for not with Jesus. Do you see that? They're powerful enough to murder a whole herd of pigs like that, but they're nothing in the presence of Jesus. You see, you and I don't have an answer to the, to the evil that exists in our world. I don't understand it, and I gotta be honest, it is overwhelming sometimes to me, but not to him, never to him. And here's the third thing you see about Jesus and the power of God being located in him is Jesus speaks to that cry of our heart. They go to Jesus and they say to Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? It's not about the storm. You got to see that. To understand this passage, you it's not about the storm. They're saying, don't you care what happens to us? And Jesus gets up and he calms the wind and he calms the waves. And I want you to see what he says to them. Because every time I read it, I'm like, man, I don't know. Look at what he says. Verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And every time I read that, I think, Jesus, I don't know, man, that's a little harsh. And these guys are professional fishermen. So if they're waking you up to say, we're going to die, like, I feel like that's based on evidence. That's based on experience. So why are you saying this? But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, do you know who I am? I'm the son of God. Do you think I have come to drown in a fishing boat? As though God is up in heaven saying, hey, what's going on with my son? And an angel says, well, we didn't want to tell you this till you had your breakfast, but he drowned in a fishing boat yesterday. Jesus says, that's not why I've come. This storm is not going to be the storm that kills me. I've come for a different kind of storm. The storm of God's wrath. You see, I've come not to die in a boat, but on a cross. In the words of the Apostle Paul, I who knew no sin have come to become sin, to take on the sins of the church so that God might pour out his anger and his judgment and his wrath for that sin on me so that I might die under the weight of that so that when I raise from the dead three days later, there is no more anger for you and I might on the basis of my righteousness offer you forgiveness. Don't you see? How can you ask me if I care what happens to you? Of course I care if you die. I came to die because I care for you. 
You see that question that keeps you up at night? God, do you see me? God, are you out there? God, do you care? God, do you love me? Jesus Christ is the answer to that question. And it's awesome that he has power over nature. And it's awesome that he has power over evil. But I have to tell you, when Jesus changes your life, it'll be this third one that gets you. Because he has inescapable proof that God sees you and loves you and absolutely does care what happens to you. But that brings me to my third point, which is to say, how do I get this power in my life? How do I get this power in my life? All week when I was working on this sermon, I was thinking of two groups of people in, in mind. And I don't know if you fit into one of these. The first, I was thinking of someone who would come this weekend or watch online who's not yet a Christian. And, and, and I could just see you saying at this point, it's like, yeah, if I thought that kind of relationship with God was what was out there, I would jump at that. That's not the Christianity I've experienced. I think of Christians sitting in the room right now saying, yeah, I would love this kind of power of God to be something I experience. And let's just be honest. That is not the norm. Most of us have gotten used to a kind of powerless Christianity. So the question is, how do we go from that to this? And the answer, I think, is in these passages. Because in the second story, there's a dividing line over one person who gets that power and a bunch of people who miss it. And I'm just going to spoil it for you. Here's the answer. You need to know this. The power of God follows the person of Jesus according to the purpose of God. In other words, the power of God is moving in the direction of the story that God is writing. And to access it and experience it, you must be part of that story. And the reason why I say that is because we live in a culture of individual choice. It's like when you get in the car, you ever done this? You get in the car, three other people, you're going to go to lunch, and somebody says, where do you want to go? It's the quietest moment of your entire life. And we all pretend to be nice. I don't care, wherever you guys want. But that's not really what you mean, right? I mean, if I got in the car and I was like, listen, before you even ask, we're going to Italian, and I don't care if it's what you want or not. You wouldn't say to me, thank you. You'd be like, what a jerk right? We're appearing to be nice. Part of what paralyzes us is that if you want Italian, Chinese, Mexican food, hamburgers, sushi, it's all within like 10 minutes of here. It's like when I go to the grocery store and you say to your kids, pick out a box of cereal, but you have to put a on a timer. Because there are seven, I get amen for back there with the cereal. <laughs> I see that hand, brother. There are 7,000 kinds of cereal. And, and because our culture is saying, have the life you want. Eat the cereal you want. Go to lunch where you want. Watch the television show that you want. And we take that to God. And what we say is, God, I want your power in service of my choice. And you're never going to get it that way. Look at what happens. The, Jesus casts out the demons from the guy. And the village comes. They hear about it. They show up. The guy is dressed. And he's in his right mind. I mean, they had done with him what we tend to do with hurting difficult people. They had marginalized him, moved him to the boundaries. Now, all of a sudden, here he is. And they get so scared, they look at the dead pigs and they ask Jesus to leave. Why do they do that? Well, the primary reason, I think, 
is because that was not what they were interested in God doing. Those pigs, by the way, represent their economy. Do you understand that? They weren't raising pigs out of the goodness of their heart. And you can't get bacon from the water. So what they're saying to Jesus is, even if you are with God, this is not the kind of God we're interested in. And they ask him to leave, and he leaves. And I, I can't help but think, are there no sick people there? No blind people? No lame people? No dead little girls who need to be risen from the dead? Because they lost all of that. Can you imagine sitting in that village a year later, tossing and turning at night, saying, God, are you out there? God, do you see me? God, do you care about me? When the whole reason you don't have him is because you asked him to leave. And friends, it still works that way. Jesus talks to the guy who had a demon and he sends the demons out. And the guy says, hey, you know, can you imagine now you're clean, now you're free. The only thoughts in your head are yours. What are you going to do? You can go into town. You can go to a party. You can get a job. You can get married. You can have children. And this guy goes, Jesus, I just want to stick with you. I mean, why not, right? And Jesus says, I don't think so. I want you to go and tell everybody what I did. What's Jesus saying to him? He's saying, listen, listen. The power of God follows the per person of, of Jesus according to the purpose of God. In other words, Jesus says, I'm the king. This is what I want. And that guy has a decision to make. Friends, listen. The power, a powerful form of Christianity is a Christianity utterly submitted to the kingship of Jesus Christ. Young people, hear me. I know a lot of you sit over here. Look at me. My kids, look at me. If you want to experience the Christianity of the Bible and not the Christianity of my generation, the way you're going to get there is you give everything to Jesus. You don't live a life like everyone else and call yourself a Christian. You give your life to Jesus. You say to Jesus, what do you want? Because he's the king and the power of God follows the king. It's why Jesus can say, we're not going to die on this boat. God has a plan. That's the kind of power we're craving. And that power is only available where Jesus is king. Because the power of God follows the person of Jesus according to the purpose of God. So who's king of your life? And what do you want more? Freedom or power? Your way or the experience of God? That's why these stories are here for us. And I have to tell you, 2,000 years, and we haven't changed all that much. Let me pray for us. Father God, you are so good and kind to us to include stories like this and in your wisdom to ensure that they're just as relevant now as they were then. We stand in all of you. We confess, I confess, that it's so easy to think I have the answers. It's so easy to invite you and your power to join me. But all that is is asking you to leave. Holy Spirit, would you lead us back to, to crowning Jesus, surrendering to him as individuals and as a church, 
And may you fill this place with your power for your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.